great to be in God's house today, is it not? I have uh, something that is, has been very, uh, may I say, traumatic as well as significant that's happened in this last week that I feel like I want to share it with you. I know that you'll want to know that. Without any uh, solicitation on my part, I was nominated and elected to serve Sorry. to serve 90 uh, Nebraska Assembly of God churches as well as at about 150 ministers in our state. And since I believe what I preach about giving it all, <laughs> to obey whatever God says, I couldn't say, God, I won't do this. And so in that light, I uh, want to say to you that we're going to do our best to do what God is saying for us to do, whether we understand it or whether we like it or whether we, whatever it is, we want to do our part. Connie and I desperately need all the prayers that we can possibly squeeze out of you, uh, literally, <laughs> because the task to, to us is too big for what we can see what we can do, and we need it. We need God's empowerment. I am uh, to assume this position in the next uh, 60 days, within the next 60 days. So that means that you're going to be hearing more uh, about my resignation as well as the uh, business meeting election that will take place. But uh, I just, in the meanwhile, just want to ask you to please keep uh, us in your prayers and uh, we certainly are praying for you as well as for the whole district now. And uh, it's a huge, huge, huge challenge for us. So having said that, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. You'll notice on the screen the passages uh, up there uh, are actually where all of the things I'm going to be taken from, they're all kind of combined. So I don't have time to read all of those verses. But I ask you to take those notes home, read them, read the different passages. You'll see what I'm talking about in some of the passages that speak especially to us today. It's a great thing to have each of you here. We, uh, I was just told uh, today that we have a very large growing number of people who are either listening or watching off-site. And uh, it is a joy for us to just have you a part of us as well. Even though you're not physically here, you are spirit in spirit, and we welcome you. We rejoice in what God is going to be saying to us today. I like Westerns. That's just my little, of the things I, I know Pastor Roger likes them too. And in fact, he even read books about them. So I, I don't get quite that far into it. But um, Clint Eastwood's persona is when he's in these, those Westerns, it's that, it's that kind of thing of confidence and grit and poise, even when he's facing overwhelming odds. Any of you like Westerns? How many of you know what I'm talking about? This poise that's there. I don't care. We like that. In fact, that's probably a leadership uh, trait that we admire, uh, we look up to, uh, in the presidential debates, you're looking for somebody who has that kind of poise, that had that ability there. 
And we like that, especially if they're the good guys, right? In that sense, it's one thing to have that attitude, that persona in front of a TV camera, and it's quite another thing to live it out when you're facing challenges, when your world falls apart, when you're facing severe abuse, or when, in fact, you're facing death. It's a whole other issue. Things change. Would you agree? It's a different world. Now, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And on Easter, we were thinking in terms of the awesomeness of God and raising Christ from the dead. And we look at Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's, we're, it's kind of a wonder how in the world that's just beyond our comprehension. But we admire that. The question that I want us to think about today is this. What about that Jesus who rose from the dead? What was he like when death was in fact looming in front of him? When the cruelty of the crucifixion was just before him? How, what kind of poise did he have at that time? If you analyze Jesus' last 24 hours, which is what we've been talking about, if you analyze that, you find there that the watershed moment for that period of his life, of his humanity, it came when he wrestled all night between his will and God's will. And he didn't pray just once for an hour. He prayed for that, and then he turned around and went back and prayed the same thing again. Father, what? Not my will, but thy will. That wrestling was going on. But once he resolved to die to his own desires, die to whatever he thought and say, God, I just want your will, everything changed. In fact, from that time on, once that resolve was made, the Holy Spirit empowered him to walk through the worst, most severe abuse and in such stunning confidence in such stunning resolve and peace within him, and that poise that was there, it happened. Why? Because he had just connected with his father. He had just heard from his father. So in that sense of the word, today I would like to have us just seek to exactly know what happened in that time period. We're just going to look at one episode And to see what Jesus really did say, what really did happen, not what somebody else says, I want you to see with your own eyes. So I ask you to, if you can, open your Bible and uh, turn to Matthew 26. And then there's another one I'm going to be using a lot, and that's in John chapter 18. We're going to be using the other ones, but those are going to be the two main ones. So if you'll look at that in your Bibles, I want you to, so that you can see for yourself, it's not something I'm saying, it's something what the Bible says. So... I especially want you to see the difference that what prayer, talking to God, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, what difference that can make in your life. Not just in Jesus' life, not just in my life, but in your life. Now, to help you uh, engage and to catch this in a more full way, I'm going to ask you to do this. Try to project yourself into the setting as we go through it. Identify with the different characters. And I want you to see Jesus from that perspective. And I think you're going to find it to be very insightful. 
Jesus, we find, first of all, was always confident. He was always poised. And he was always in total control. But what does that look like? So let's start in John chapter 18. So you can switch, keep both of those open. John chapter 18, verses 2 through 9. I'm going to be looking from the... the, uh, English Standard Version, you whatever translation you have, so let's look at it together. It says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, so we're getting the picture where this is a betrayal, and he knew the place. Now, the place he's talking about is Gethsemane. It's that Garden of Gethsemane uh, that you've read, maybe heard about in the past. So he knew that Jesus was going to go there, and he often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured. Oh, I don't know what translation or what word your Bible says, but what that is saying that Judas got this thing together and what we're just going to talk about. So get a picture of this. Judas, having procured a band of what? Soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and some Pharisees. And they went there with what? Torches, lanterns, And weapons. Kind of get a picture of that. Now, who was it that got this band together? Judas did. Judas was either, one, afraid of what he was about to face, or he had another thing in mind. He wanted to try to intimidate Jesus to some extent, to get Jesus to become the king, to take control. Whatever it was, I don't know what it was, but he got all these together. And so when they were coming, what is it that Jesus did? He what? What's in the rest of that verse say? Knowing that all, he knew all that would happen to him, he did what? Came forward and said to them, who do you seek? Now let's think about this for a moment. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the walled city of Jerusalem, you come out of that gate, you go down into a valley, the Kidron Valley, and then you come back up on the Mount of Olives. Any, you can imagine, there's not a lot of trees in there, that, you, that in between there, you could see anybody with a whole lot of light and a whole band of people, you could easily see them across the Kidron Valley and you could know they were coming. Jesus could have said, ah, whoa. I'm going over the other side of the hill. I'm going over the mountain. I'm out of here. Couldn't he? He could have easily done it. He knew what was going to happen, and he could have escaped. But what did he do? He just stood there and waited for them. And when they came up, get this, get this uh, sense. They came up with this full intimidation, all the lights, a bunch of people, soldiers and officers of the, Pharise- of the, of the Jewish leadership, the, the Pharisees, all of these guys are coming with arms, with weapons and all this. They, and Jesus does what? He walks up to them. How many got to walk right up to one of those guys? I mean, after all, they're supposed to be intimidated. He walks up to them and says, hey, who are you looking for? Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, you found him. I am he. And then John, the writer of this, he goes back and comments about Judas again. 
The guy who betrayed him was standing there where? Right with him. I don't know why he points that out, but he does. But I want you to notice when Jesus said those words, I am he, something happened. They drew back and they what? Who fell to the ground? All those people that came up there was trying to intimidate him. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with some of the Pentecostal things that go on, but this is as close as you get in the Bible to somebody being slain in the spirit. (laughs) They didn't know what hit them. I can just imagine those soldiers, especially, getting back up and saying, what just hit me? I mean, they're used to fighting. They all fell to the ground. So Jesus, after they started gathering themselves, getting themselves back up again, Jesus said again, what? Who do you say that I am? And he repeats, I am he. Who are you looking for? I am he. He told them that. And then he said, if you're really seeking me, why don't you let these other guys go? Here I am. See, that's me. And I like this last line. We're going to see this last line again more than once. He says, what? This was to fulfill the word that had been spoken of those whom he gave me. I have lost not one. In other words, there's a bigger picture here going on, guys. Do you see that? And we're going to come back and see that. Now, what I want you to see is this. I want you to think about it. Look at that passage. Who's in control of that whole scene? Who's got the poise? Who's got the confidence? Jesus. If you put yourself in that scene, it's not hard to see that Jesus is the guy who has all those things, the qualities we're talking about. And anybody that's going to be seeing that is going to all of a sudden say, you know what, I respect this guy, he's really the leader. Isn't that right? Can you imagine what was going on in the minds and emotions of those soldiers? They're walking, they're, you know, they're built for war. They're built to fight. And they get knocked on their can. And they get back up. And they're saying, what? We're supposed to be the big guys here. And Jesus doesn't have any weapons. And he just, he just does it. Can you imagine what was going through their mind? Uh, What are we facing here? They had to assess it. And since Judas was the point guy, after all, he had just made a deal with the Jewish leaders, the high priest, to for 30 pieces of silver, he was going to do this. He realized, okay, it's now time for me to step up and do my little thing. So let's look at Mark now, chapter 14, verse 44. You don't have to, you can look in your notes there if you want, but, or look at it in the Bible if you want. Mark chapter 14, verse 44. It says, now the betrayer had given them a sign. Now they're talking about Judas giving all these soldiers a sign, saying, the one that I will kiss, that is the man. Seize him, lead him away under guard. Matthew adds this line. And he, Judas, came up to Jesus at once and said, what? Greetings. Greetings, Jesus. Greetings. 
Rabbi. Greetings, the Greek and the word there for greeting is a celebration. It's sort of, be happy, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Luke says this, adds this line. And Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Think about what's going on in these guys' minds. And Matthew adds these lines. Next, he says, friend, do what you came to do. And then what did the soldiers do? They came up and they seized Jesus. Now, can you put yourself in Judas's mind? I've made this arrangement. I got all these guys together. I'm the guy, I'm the trigger on this thing. I'm controlling this thing. And he walks up to Jesus and Oh, Jesus! And he kisses him. And that's supposed to be a signal, but he's doing it in a real, okay, outgoing way. And Jesus said, Oh, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Like, I didn't know you knew what I was doing. You getting that? And then he said, Jesus said, Friend, Just do what you came to do. Get it on. Now, what was was going through Judas's mind? You know what? I came here thinking it was me that was in control when really Jesus already knew what was going on and he's telling me to get on with it. You get the picture? Where's the confidence? Where's Where's that poise? Where's that knowledge, that ability to lead? He, uh, Jesus already knew. And then Judas thought I, was, thought I was a big man here, and now I'm just a wimp. I'm just getting, I'm just a pawn on this thing. And about that time, Peter's zeal pops up. It snaps to attention. And I want you to notice what he does, looking at John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, he had a what? Sword, and he drew it out, and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right Ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now let's think about that for a moment. Swing and a miss. If you're going to do something, let's do it right. You're going to kill the guy, take off his throat, but instead he only gets an ear. Are you getting the picture? Here's this confident guy. Peter could do a lot of good fishing, but one thing he wasn't good at is using a sword. So he tries his, he does it. Let's move on. Verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, Peter, put up your sword in its sheath. And then he says some very powerful words. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? Won't, don't you think I'm going to drink this? What's the deal? What, what's going on here? And a verse that I left out in, in the notes and I should have added because Luke says in verse Chapter 22, verse 51, he says, And Jesus stooped down, picks up the ear, and puts it on Malchus's head. Didn't even get the dirt off. Now, how do you think the... What, what do you think everybody was thinking? Whoa, what's going on? And without even taking a breath, not even stopping, he go, Jesus goes on to say in verse 52, the last part of verse 52, for all who take the sword will 
perish by the sword. Verse 53, do you think that I, do you really think that I cannot appeal to my father? And if I appeal to him, he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Now, if Jesus alone could blow these guys back, what do you think 12 legion of angels would do? Are you getting a picture? Jesus knew he had that just waiting for him. What was he really saying to Peter? We'll look at that in a moment. And at that hour, then he turns to the crowd. These people that were just looking at what was going on. Watch the action. So at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? What in the world? Day after day, I sat at the temple teaching and you didn't do what? You didn't, you didn't seize me then. Why didn't you take me then? But he said what? All this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. What is that saying? Jesus was saying, I see something farther down the road than what's going on here in, in, in place. He said, in essence, I've got a peace. I have a confidence. I know what it's all about. Is it pretty? No. Is this going to be fun? No. But I know what it's about, and I can move ahead with it because I know who called me. I know what's going on. All the intimidation did not bother him. He looked beyond the pain. Now let's go back to these characters for a moment. What was going through the mind and emotion of that servant? Ouch, that hurts a little bit to get cut off, right? No anesthetic. I mean, it gets cut off. And he's probably going. And Jesus says, oh, you dropped something. (laughs) Picks it up, puts it on the guy's head, and he gets healed and all the pain goes away. And he goes, what? Do you think he was saying, well, this is a dirty guy. I don't know what he's up to. I think he was saying, whoa, how about you? How do you think Peter, what was going through his thoughts and emotions when Jesus rebuked him, when all Peter was doing was trying to help Jesus, right? He essentially says to Peter, Peter, don't you think, don't you think that I'm big enough to take on my father's assignment and do what he told me to do, even if it's a tough job, I can still do it. And if I wanted some help, Peter, in all due respect, if I wanted some help, you know what? I wouldn't call on you. You can't handle the sword very well. He said, I would have called for angelic help. I got 12 legion of angels that would have been here. Sorry to insult you, Peter, but I think they got a little bit more going for them. Peter, Peter, please understand this. Everything that's going on here is under total control. So back off. Can you get that picture? Who's in control now? Think about the crowd. When Jesus turns to them, takes them on, but in a reasonably nice way, he looks at the crowd of the Jewish leaders and all that, and and he just says, look, guys, 
Why didn't you just do it when it was easy? Instead, you're chicken-hearted, you're cowards, and you come out here at night with clubs and swords and like, you're going to take, you're going to take me now. This is, this is the time. The reality is, guys, what you're doing isn't even really your idea. You think it is, but it's not. So can you, can you get a sense out of the confusion that was going on in this scene? So what happened to the disciples then in, verse, in Matthew 26, verse 56, the last part of it? Then the Bible says, then all of the disciples left him and fled. Now, what was it, if you remember before, we've talked about this before, what was it they said in the garden or in, in, in the Last Supper? They said, when Jesus said, you're going to leave me, they said, oh, no, we're not. We're going to be there. Now, what are they doing? Running exactly what they had vowed they would not do when they were at the Last Supper. I think it's important for you to catch this. Because what was going on was not all of their, in their thinking. It wasn't their, have you ever felt like God's in control of something more than you are? I felt that this past week, trust me. It wasn't fun, but I knew he was in control. How do you feel when you know God's in control? You may be just a pawn on a chessboard, but how do you feel? Is it scary to you or does it bring you comfort even with you, even when it's scary circumstances? Your response is largely governed by your perception of who God really is. If you think of God as being a God who is mean and uh, he you don't know what he's going to do next, he's very vengeful. Then if you see yourself as a pawn in his hand, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, because if I don't stand correctly or do whatever I'm supposed to be doing, you know, he can just throw me on the floor and stomp me in. I, I mean, I'm out of here. If that's how you see God, there's going to be what? Fear. It's scary. But if you see your perception of God is that God is loving and he only does things that shows that love to you. Does that mean it's all going to be pretty at the moment? No. He has a greater plan. He loves you deeply and he only does good for his children. If you believe that's who God really is, then being upon in his hand may be a little scary on the outside, but on the inside it's very comforting. Amen? You're kind of quiet. I don't know how you've been when those kind of times come. But there's a great comfort to know that you're in his hands. And that's what gives you that kind of confidence because he's spoken to you. He's called you. So let's talk about that a little bit more. The next point is what gives this kind of confidence? After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, for the first time in their existence, they began to feel things they had never felt before. One is they became very self-conscious. They were looking at who they were. And they looked at themselves and they found out they were, help me, 
naked. And they said, Ooh. like, where you been all my life? And so they get these fig trees and try to put it together. You see, they were self-conscious and they were insecure. What am I going to do? What, I got to go hide in the garden. They were fearful. And what did they do? They tried with their own ingenuity to make something cover themselves up with, right? Their own thinking. Adam and Eve, at that time, out of insecurity, out of fear, out of self-conscious, all of us, that's where it all started. And since all of us are born out of their seed, we carry their fall with us. And that means that every human being has the same kind of insecurity and they must live with some level of doubt in their mind. You do, I do, every human being, since Adam and Eve have to live with that insecurity. And what do we do with it? Well, some of us learn to compensate in different ways. We find things that will make us feel better. People will use every means imaginable to make themselves feel confident instead of insecure. At least look confident. For example, some people will try to, I'm going to build this persona of courage and strength and fearlessness. Or they'll wear fattish clothes like people will say, oh, that guy's really cool or that woman's really dressed. Wow, she's really up there. Or some people will try to get more experience or they're going to get more education. They're going to, they're going to try to get more power. They're going to try to accumulate possessions so that they hide behind all those external things so that they can feel confident. Does that make sense? How do you know what's underneath? Try what they look like when they lose it all. A person who has all the power, all the, all the money, all the whatever. What happens when they lose it all? They realize they're just still, what? Insecure people. Am I right? You've seen it happen. More often than not, that confidence that you see in a person is hidden. It's really only an external mad, uh, mask. And that what's hiding behind that is an insecure person. They're trying to make themselves look confident. I can do this with my sport. I am excelling in this. Look who I am. But what happens if they break their leg? Or if they can no longer play that sport? What happens to them then? So many of them go into deep depression. Am I right? Why? Because there's still that insecurity inside. They're just using a mask. I have found in the Bible, and I have found from, from personal experience in my life, that when a person hears God's whisper, when they just hear His voice and their intuition, their confidence level leaps to a much higher level. Several decibels higher, may I can, maybe I can say. And that's because they intuitively know that the one, one who spoke to them is their Creator who's got everything under control. Just hearing the Word they recognize it intuitively. They know that. And if that whisper that they hear from God is God saying to them, I want you to do something for me. I want to work this through you. If they hear that, 
if, if they just put that into focus, and if they take the risk and say, okay, I'll do it, I'll obey. If they take, and there is a risk all the time, there's a risk. You know what's going to happen? Miraculous things are going to happen. And very honestly, I'm looking at that thing myself. I'm saying, God, this is way over my head. I'm looking for miraculous things to happen in the years ahead. I'm trying to make it real to you. I'm trying to let this soak in because this is real time. This is not some pie in the sky thing. There is a direct correlation between a person's intimate relationship with God or hearing his whispers and the confidence and the resolve that comes enabling you to go through the most intimidating of situations. It's that type of something inside that says, you know, I don't care what happens. I'm going through. Amen? But it comes with a first, what? Hear the Lord and obey. Take that risk. Is it scary? Trust me, it's scary. I'm telling you that from real time this week. What we observe in Jesus in this scene that we've been talking about, is very different than anything any human can produce. How do you know? It shows up when they face tragedies in their life. When they face gross injustice. Then when they face severe abuse or when they're facing death and it's sort of like, oh, I don't have anything to hide behind now. We see that in Jesus because what did he have? The most he had was the clothes he wore on, uh, wore, was wearing. He didn't have anything, didn't have a weapon. But because Jesus connected with his father in heaven, when he connected with him in prayer and he did it on a regular basis, in this case, his big problem was that night. So he prayed really hard in a lot of hours that night. He was then able to go through that day and the days before when he prayed in the morning, he'd go through that day. He could go through with a supernatural level of confidence. He could go through with poise. He had that ability, not because of his own ability, but because of the anointing that God had put in his heart. He was able to go through that last 24 hours. You know what? Do what you got to do. And you also can connect with that incredible confidence, resolve, and poise when you face the rejection of your closest friends, the totally unjust accusations, the cruel, but you can face whatever it is when you connect that with the prayer time, hearing God's voice. When you hear your heavenly father, your creator say to you, you know what? Go do this. Walk into the fiery furnace because I will be with you. What is he asking of you? Is he challenging you? Well, I don't, I can't do that. I don't have the confidence. I'm afraid to do that. Well, guess what? Everybody does. It takes a risk. It takes a step out of yourself to do whatever he's asking of you. And you know, when you look at Jesus 
and the, all that's going to happen in the days ahead of his, the hours ahead for him, the love that he showed in the midst of all that. When you look at the gentleness, the kindness that flowed out of those things that he said and did, when you look at those things, you realize that was not something out of just sheer self-discipline. That was an anointing of God. Amen? Now, let me just say this. I struggle with self-confidence, insecurity. I struggle with the same kind of things that you do. I wish that I would have responded better this week, for example, than I did. But I've learned this. Any time I have that close relationship with my Creator, and I connect and I hear Him, I have a confidence that is above anything I've ever had in the past. In my case, I had to be rebuked by God this past, in fact, just within hours, of saying, Bob, stop looking at the giant and look at me. What is it saying? If I hear from him and it transformed me, it changed me. Let me say this in general. Authentic Christianity is far more practical than empty, cold religion. I don't know what you have. I don't know. Maybe you had a dynamic faith in the past, but you lost it. Maybe you've never had a dynamic relationship with God. But let me say something. The real thing that power with God will make a difference in your life. And if you genuinely want to become that person with that confidence, with that poise, with that resolve, connect with your God, your creator. I will only point you to him. It's not me. It's not the church. It's your relationship with God that will make the difference. But don't be deceived. Because there are a lot of people who call themselves Christian but don't have a close relationship with God. They don't hear His voice and they have the same false persona. Does that make sense? They look like they got it all together. They come out, I'm macho, I'm big or whatever. And they're just as much afraid and insecure as you are. They just got a mask on. Don't be deceived by them. Because all they're doing is only playing footsie with Christ. And there's so many of them. The truth of the matter is, only the real thing, the real relationship with God, only that will produce the quality of a person of Christ. Only that will change and shape your heart. And that is what your heart is really crying for. Don't be sidetracked by cold religion. I don't care if you're in this church or what church you're in. Don't just go there, press beyond, and touch that close intimacy with God and hear His voice. That alone will change you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that each of us here wrestle with the very same things of insecurity, of self-doubt. Oh, we wear a mask because of our power, our knowledge base or whatever. We have all kinds of masks that we wear, we hide behind. But when tragedy hits and we lose everything, all of a sudden we're still right back to the real who we are.
the real person. God, I pray that you are saying something to people's hearts and lives today. That they realize that all these other artificial props are really not going to stand up when it when the tough times come. They need a close relationship with you. And may they desire, may they purpose to chase after you more than any other single thing in their life. And I pray, God, that they will know that you are there waiting for them because you love them and you're going to help them. For those who don't have that relationship, never have had that relationship, God, I pray that even today or whenever they're going to be listening to this, Lord, when they do, may they determine in their hearts to connect with somebody who really knows you. Not knows about you, but really knows you personally. And may they connect with them and say, will you coach me? Because I want to know Jesus like you do. Help us to be that person to those individuals so they can know you in a close way. And may today, today, be the day that decision is made. And if they have opportunity to make that choice today, may they make it today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Let's stand. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to go to the back. We're going to be singing some songs of worship. The most important thing you can do Hear me, hear me, hear me, please. The most important thing you can do at this point is to do whatever God is telling you to do, just like I have chosen to do this past week, even if it's hard. And if you're saying, I know I need to get my right, my life back in contact with God, or I need to give my life to God, I've never just gone, I've just been playing footsie with God, I need to make a difference. Hey, that's when you, you got to step up. Oh, my pride. Forget your pride. My pride's not going to get you to heaven, folks. Pride's not going to give you that poise and that confidence when all hell breaks out around you. It's only that relationship. Make that choice and do it today. If you need to go back and have someone pray with you, if you need to come to the altar, whatever you do, don't just stay where you are. Respond to what God is saying to you to do.